Hi there, and welcome to the first T21 Mum podcast. My name is Mary, and I will be your host. Each episode, we'll talk about life, Down syndrome, mamahood, single parenting, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley, and she's six years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome, and I'm living life my way. Today, my friend Ron joins me. He's the one who suggested I do a podcast. He tells me he's learned so much about Down syndrome just from our informal chats and my Facebook posts. Welcome, Ron. Hey, Mary. How's it going? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And how's uh, Ainsley today? She's doing awesome as well. That's one of her favorite words. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I'm awesome. (laughs) Well, she is. I mean, you know, it's it's all of the things that we see and, you know, the Facebook posts and and all the things you tell us. I mean, she's she's obviously a great kid, right? Thank you. I appreciate that. So, and she's in school right now. That's right. She's in grade one and she's in an all-inclusive classroom. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And, you know, with this being episode one, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into this and... (laughs) You know, really that's the host job, but you know what, I'm going to ask the question today. For sure. Well, uh, you know, I didn't imagine that I was going to have a child with Down syndrome. Uh, I actually just wanted to be a mom. And I realized uh, if I was going to do that, I'm going to have to do it on my own. And after a lot of uh, thinking and reading and writing and spending time with myself, actually, I made the decision to go ahead and... uh, become a single mom by myself and uh, on my own. I mean, I have, you know, three brothers and two of them have children. And so I have some nieces and nephews. So I kind of knew what it entailed to have a child in my life. But uh, it's a whole different story when you're doing it on your own. Well, there must have been a lot of uh, interesting self-conversations. And, you know, these were things that you probably spent on your, you know, you had your own time that you would walk away and you know sit in the forest on a log or yeah. you know around coffee or whatever and and you know what 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 was sort of the mindset that you went through with you know I just I really wanted to live my life with no regrets and I thought if I didn't try I would never know and I didn't want to go through life having that regret that I didn't try and so I did it. I mean, it was a lot of work. It was very expensive what I had to do in order to have Ainsley. And, um, but I don't regret it for a minute. I mean, there are hard days, but I don't regret it. <laughs> so there's a, so, you know, every parent probably has those days where they go, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sure we're all human, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and every child, every child, no matter how well behaved or whatever, uh, you have those exasperating moments. I know my mother certainly had, certainly had hers with, you know, with the three perfect boys that she brought up. <laughs> <laughs> Same with my mother. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, so it was, a, it was a difficult uh, self journey to take you to the point where, you know, you decided to be a single mom. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, like how long was the process that you decided? Gosh, you know, It took some time, like probably I spent maybe really a year really thinking about it and spending time thinking about it and how my life was going to look. You know, I did have my own place and I did have uh, an extra bedroom. So I knew that my child would have their own room. So that kind of helped in those things. And then I also have a decent job. So I knew that I'd be able to support my child, you know, but it's still hard. And then to go the route that I went um, to be a single mom by choice, then you also have to find 
like who's going to be the father so that's a whole different ball game on its own and you know I had to go through a fertility clinic to do that and it's a little unnerving that this is how you're choosing to create a life it's you know usually you find somebody you fall in love and you you make a little family and mine at times it felt like I'm just might as well throw darts at a dartboard because you get very few um, details about the potential uh, donor and uh, you just kind of hope for the best when you were going through that process, you know the, the the clinics and all of that was would would you had a, a friend that was with you, or did you go to these appointments on your own? Or initially, I went to the appointments on my own because there's a lot of um, things that have to happen at the back end when you decide to become a single mom by choice. Um, you're required to go to see a counselor, and you know you meet with a nurse, and then you got to go through uh, various testing, and uh, and then you're kind of given essentially. A catalog and then you go from there and you decide uh what's the best route for you to go like without getting too technical there's different routes like such as IUI or as most people know IVF which is very expensive and it's truly not for the faint of heart I you know I commend anybody any woman who goes that route it's challenging with all the different medications you have to take at a certain time and you're thinking is this I hope this is worth it and it's hard but then uh at the point where they do the retrieval is when uh Marcy my very good friend came with me and she was with me for that and all through the journey uh until Ainsley's birth and was there was there um like was your counselor was there a counselor involved like you, you mentioned that you talking to a talk to a counselor were they involved in the process all the way through as well or is it just like here's your weekly appointment uh <laughs> you know like like you go for an appointment and then is there a series of appointments or just one or I was only required to go to one appointment and it's just basically they want to make sure you're of the proper mindset that you know what you're getting into because it is different where you don't really you don't know who this person is that you're creating a life with and to be honest and I haven't really met too many other single choice moms but I don't really think of that person in my life like right. he's really a non-entity uh, because Ainsley is just mine and nobody else's did you talk to your family before this or during this or was this did you hold off on telling them until you know you knew more about the process or more about what was going on or until you'd actually committed to it or my one of my sister-in-laws I had mentioned it to her and she supported my decision and and I think during the process I also told uh, my aunt my parents had since passed so they weren't aware of it I'm not quite sure how you know my parents would have been with it I think they would have supported me wholeheartedly knowing my love for children that I really wanted to be a mom and you know Mr. Wright wasn't walking through my door so uh and but you know at the end though my family was very supportive and when I did indeed tell them it was actually on Mother's Day it was the first Mother's Day after my mom had passed away and we were all gathered and I told them I had to tell them something and I, I couldn't get the words out. I, I started to cry and I just kept saying, I'm, I'm, and my youngest brother, he said, 
are you, are you pregnant? And I said, <laughs> yes. And he came over and gave me a big hug and I'm crying and it was really exciting. And, uh, one of my nieces at that time, she was nine going to be 10 and her birthday is very close to Ainsley's birthday. So it was a, a big deal for her, like to, you know, during my pregnancy for her to feel the baby moving and, and uh, being excited that there was this new life coming. And you have a big world around you and you, your workspace, your, you know, your workplace, your workspace, you know, you've got your, you know, your family, your extended family with your friends and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And, and how did you talk to all of them? I mean, I know how you and I had a conversation at, at one point about it after you'd announced it to everybody, but how, how did you go about talking to people about just being a single mom without necessarily bringing the the other diagnosis for the Down syndrome into this? Well, you know, I actually chose not to tell majority of the people about the diagnosis, and I can talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But, um, you know, people at my workplace, I, I do work at a fairly large organization. They were all very excited for me. And it, uh, they wanted, you know, but also then they were going like, how did this happen? Because they didn't think, you know, I was necessarily <laughs> dating somebody. I'm just thinking, you know, in this day and age, you know, there's many ways that this could happen. Um, but, you know, and I had a small group of people who were also very aware of what I was doing, uh, how I was planning to become or hopefully planning to become a mom. And they were also the ones that I told upon learning of Ainsley's diagnosis. I chose not to tell a lot of people and everyone's different, but I really wanted people to just focus on the fact that I was having a baby, not a baby with a a diagnosis or or I didn't want people to feel sorry for me or to have pity for me because that's not what I wanted. I wanted people to be excited that I was having a baby, something I had been waiting for my whole life. And once Ainsley was born, I did have uh, one of uh, good friends from my village who I worked with to make the announcement. And at the very end, she just put like, cause it was from me, the announcement, but it was just, she was the one sending the message is that um, I said, you know, my baby has Down syndrome and I'm okay with that. And I still want you all to uh, rejoice with me and show her the love that I know you all have for her and I think that really set the tone and you know people are always really excited when I bring her into work and want to say hello to her so I think it's you you set the tone and how people are going to react to you well she I mean a very sweet baby (laughs) (laughs) thank you So, yeah. you know, people respond to, you know, like that kind of thing. And you know, so most people were really happy or pleased that you had, you know, you knew little person and that anything else was just background noise to them at that point. I think so. I've never, because I, you know, I was off on maternity leave. So I've always thought that people, pro- I do know some people asked if I had known ahead of time that she had Down syndrome. And, you know, and I did have one good friend who felt that I should tell people because they could support me at that time. But I said, no, because this is my story to tell. And I want to be also to be able to control the story and control the message of what people are hearing. And cause I also think other people wanted to be able to talk about it, but cause I, they didn't also necessarily know who knew. And that was sort of part of my plan 
is so that I could control again the message and and uh, prevent information I didn't want to get out from getting out but you know overall it was great you know I had a super easy pregnancy and uh, with zero health complications the only indicator that Ainsley had Down syndrome prior to having an amnio was that she had a thick nuchal fold and had gone from some other testing because you go for all these types of testings once you have a diagnosis and the tech asked me like why I was there and I can't even remember what test it was for and I told her well my my baby has Down syndrome and after the test she said you know I've been doing this job for over 20 years and I would never have known and it was kind of funny at that appointment another friend Trish came with me and she really wanted to know the gender because I didn't want to know I just always felt there's you know there's so few real surprises in life even though I really secretly hope to have a girl because I grew up with three brothers (laughs) Um, and they can be a little trying (laughs) at times right (laughs) and so uh but the tech said you know she wasn't allowed to tell Trish what the gender was and Trish said well how am I going to know and I said well I've heard if it's uh, a girl, it looks like a hamburger. And then she pauses and says, oh, a hamburger or a hot dog? And the tech thought that was quite funny. And um, after Ainsley was born, I remember asking Trish, because she was so good. She says, I'm only going to refer to Bean, because that's what we called Ainsley when I was pregnant, Bean, uh, as he. Just doesn't mean anything, but Bean is he. And a after, non-gender gender. A non-gender gender, that's right. <laughs> and then after Ainsley was born, I asked Trish, so did you know that it was a girl? She goes, I always knew it was a hamburger. <laughs> How much testing did you do? Like, was there, you know, was, was there a lot or as compared to, you know... A, like a typical a, pregnancy? A typical pregnancy, yeah. Well, I was older. I was in my 40s, so... Uh, but, you know, testing is totally up to you. Uh, now there's what's called a, a NIPT test, uh, which wasn't quite available when I was pregnant with Ainsley. And it actually is just a simple blood test. But when I was pregnant, they do what's called a quad screen, which is known for being notoriously inaccurate. And I remember getting a call from the OB that I was having a hard time getting into saying that she wanted to see me so I knew right then that something was up and I went down and another friend met me and she told me that I had a one in five chance and as Jill who came with me said that's still 80% that everything's fine but at that time I kind of just knew I just I don't know how I just knew so she suggested I go for an amnio and I went for the amnio and my friend Marcy who I mentioned earlier she came with me and you know a few days later I got a phone call that changed everything but once you get the diagnosis and I can talk more about later about uh, actually receiving the diagnosis but once you know that you have uh, you're carrying a baby with Down syndrome you do go for some other testing like they check their heart so we had an echocardiogram at around 20 weeks and it's kind of odd I I kind of just knew her heart was going to be okay and it was perfect so you know we had a completely non-eventful pregnancy I was even still running at seven months and she came at 40 weeks plus a day when the delivery room normally delivery 
room format <laughs> if you if you'll let me call it that the delivery room format is usually you know, like mom and dad and but in a as a single mom mm-hmm. um who do you invite in like who do you who do you have show up who, who's on your first call list to come and help you well marcy i had asked her to be uh my birth partner because she had come with me with all to all the appointments and she came i think it was at seven or eight weeks she was at that appointment with me um where they we actually could see the heartbeat it's just a tiny little bean and i think that's how the name came was just was there on the uh, screen and i think it was then that i asked her to be my birth partner because i remember we were outside the office and we were both hugging and crying and you know i think she was crying because she was happy for me and i was obviously crying because i was happy but because also she was crying because she was never able to have kids and i wanted her to have as much of this experience as she could with me and that I could give her that experience because she's been such a dear friend for me since, you know, grade eight, I think. And um, so she was there and she came to pick me up. But of course, you know, the traffic was bad and she was coming from far away and it was kind of crazy. I had two friends on the phone calling. I said, you know, this is like really stressful because they ended up having to induce me and uh so marcy comes and we get to the hospital and they initially i think they wanted to send me home and i said no there's no way and the maternity ward had had a flood (laughs) so it was yeah it was crazy because i oh yeah i'd gone in that day that was right i'd gone in that day to get induced and um they said we'll come back later this evening and because they said we don't have any uh there's no staff like the day before was my actual due date and they didn't want to induce me that day because they said they didn't have any staff and they didn't have any room but if you go into labor just call us and we'll try to figure something out and I thought that is so reassuring (laughs) right (laughs) but uh, so Marcy got me there and uh, we got in and it was a very long labor I think it was 22 hours and eventually the doctor came in and said you're having a big baby and I recommend a C-section. And I was actually quite disappointed because I thought this is my one and only child and I wanted to experience childbirth. You know, I don't know if I really want to know what all that pain is about, but I really (laughs) wanted to have that experience. And then he said, well, you can labor for a few more hours if you like. I go, no, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and again, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And so there's all these doctors and there's one doctor who took um, a photo, you know, with me and Marcy. And then, so they, you know, they put me in for the C-section and it's very quick and they lift her over the screen and we're looking like, what is it? What is it? (laughs) And then they say, it's a girl. And then they told me she was 9-1 and I just about died. I thought, thank God I had a (laughs) (laughs) C-section. So, yeah, so that's kind of my birth story. And Marcy, uh, we had to stay in the hospital for 26 days because Ansley had low oxygen saturation levels. They could never figure out why, but I think um, her having Down syndrome and being really low tone and also being born via C-section, she didn't get that opportunity to push out all the fluids. And uh, they couldn't figure out why, and they just felt it was that. And so they kept us in for it seemed like an eternity, but 26 days. And, you know, Marcy was there with me for the first week, 
you know, she stayed, I think for, gosh, I think it was 10 hours a day. She was awesome. You know, I highly recommend her as a birth partner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she sounds like not like 10 hours a day for five, six days, seven days, seven days. And I thanked her husband after Mm -hmm. I said, thank you for lending me your wife. That's I mean. A work week plus, you know, like almost double shifting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, in a work week. And I think the hospital staff, they weren't really sure what we were, right? <laughs> because, you know, Marcy has her engagement ring on and they probably weren't sure like what the deal was. Were we partners, life partners, friends? Like they didn't really know. It was kind of, it was kind of funny. We sort of like. And they've, been, and, and they've sort of learned over the years just not to ask. I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if they asked, I would have told them it was fine yeah. because I think it's a very different situation. Probably one they don't see all that often. You know, also one, the baby has Down syndrome and I'm doing it on my own, right? Like I had a lot of very negative experiences with other professionals during my pregnancy because I think some of them were just incredulous, like, why would you want to do this? And no one ever. So there was a moral judgment that you thought was. I think there's a moral judgment, an intellectual judgment. Did you just feel that there was, you know, some kind of judgment there that they couldn't get past while they were treating you? Or I think you know I had no negative experiences with my OB or my doctors. I think because they knew how much I wanted to have a child, but then you know I was sent to see uh, different geneticists geneticists um and then later i'm going why am i going to see them because a geneticist is not a drunk word yeah (laughs) like (laughs) a genetic counselor that's it okay and i'm thinking why am i going because like are they just going to tell me about down syndrome or you know and and they always asked me about termination and i always brought a friend with me to these different appointments so that they could speak for me if i couldn't because it was a very emotional time and they kept bringing it up and I kept saying, this isn't on the table. Like I'm keeping my baby. Yes. I know my baby has down syndrome, so let's move on. And I kind of always got the impression that they couldn't understand why a single mom by choice would choose to have a child with down syndrome. And I remember at one time, one of them asked me, is it for religious reasons? And I said does that really matter like I was kind of shocked that they even had the audacity to ask me that and um but you know I always brought friends with me that knew my obviously knew knew me and my views and you know who could be outspoken for me if I couldn't but yeah it and you know I've heard lots of very negative stories from others like from doctors like they don't even offer a choice they just talk about termination and I think it's just really sad that people don't understand Down syndrome. It's not a death sentence. There might be some health challenges. And yes, there's some intellectual disability. I mean, I'm one of those people. When I was first hurt, you know, when you first told me about the, the you know, Ainsley and Down syndrome before she was born, I'm just thinking like, well, okay, I know was what I knew was essentially a thimble full. I mean, now I know mm-hmm. a cup full. I mean, <laughs> you know, a, you know, you basically know an ocean full now. Uh, but it takes a bit to, you know, sort of get your brain to the point. Well, okay, she's going to do this. What do I need to know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've been very forward over the years in keeping me informed, whether it's through Facebook or, our, you know, when we go for coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I learn, I have learned a great deal. And so you know, when you tell these stories now about people within 
the healthcare industry mm-hmm. uh, not still understanding what this is because they must run across this. You know, what are the odds of, of a Down syndrome baby in, or a, in the general a baby population? With Down syndrome. Sorry, a baby with Down syndrome. <laughs> I, again, see here I am getting educated. Yeah. Uh, so, and terminology is is everything if you're going to try and avoid some kind of offense. Of course. Right. Yeah. But my understanding is, you know, in, in the healthcare industry, like coming from my background in media, you, when you're going to ask a question, you don't ask, you don't sort of put your own, you know, well, you, you don't put your own uh, spin on it. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. So is it, a, is it, is it any wonder to you that there, these people were sort of putting this out there to you consistently or, or the lack of choice out to you consistently? Yeah. I mean, I, my experience was my negative experiences were just with the genetic counselors. Okay. I think, so, so, so like the doctors, the nurses, the everybody else was. But I think partially the reason I didn't have the negative experiences with the doctors is because they knew what I had gone through. Like I went through six uh, treatments, infertility treatments to even get pregnant. And Ainsley was my final shot. I remember talking to the fertility doctor. I said, this is it. This is my last try. It was kind of like the Hail Mary, right? And um, No go- pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and I remember leaving her office. She goes, let's try to get you a baby by Christmas. And Ainsley was born, you know, mid-November, and she was right. But overall, I think doctors are uneducated. Uh, they have lots of poor information, misinformation, and outdated information. And there's a fabulous uh, organization called the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network. And Which we're going to be talking about at length in future episodes. Of course, episodes. yeah. So. And they, their mission is to educate the practitioners and the people out there giving a diagnosis and giving correct and factual information. You know, yes, there are lots of, like 50% of children born with Down syndrome are going to have a heart issue. But there's also 50% like Ainsley who do not. Right. And, you know, and parents are not being presented with that information. And, you know, many people don't realize like Down syndrome is so common. It is the most common chromosomal condition. It's one in approximately 700 children born are born with Down syndrome. Okay. So there's like, there's like, there's the, there's the number I was looking for. Mm -hmm. One in 700. So, you know, in, you know, you, you take these genetic counselors through, in a week or a month, like there, this is not something that is uncommon. This is not something that is, uh, this is not something that, oh, I've never heard of that before. Correct. Right. So, so they, and they should be well aware of it. And, you know, my experience with people with Down syndrome was quite limited. You know, I worked. Well, so was mine. I mean, mine was limited to like kids on the bus. Yeah. Right? And I knew of a volunteer at the aquarium where I worked at one time who had Down syndrome but for the most part, I would see them in the community, but I didn't really have any real interactions with them. And I don't know why that is. I think a lot of it is because probably when I was growing up, they weren't really mainstreamed into the school. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they just were kind of kept away. Well, I think, I think and I, you know, the, the consistent behavior that happened through the years, I mean, you're saying that Ainsley is now in a, you know, she's in a mainstream school. Mm-hmm. I don't recall when I was going to school, you know, all 12 years of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there weren't a lot of kids who had been mainstreamed. In, in fact, you, you didn't really even see them. 
I know. Like, right. where were they? Exactly. Because they had to be there. Yeah. And in, and, you know, on our street, um, you know, we had a lot of kids because it was a baby boom street. It was a baby boom community. I think where you grew up, it was the same thing. It was like mm-hmm. every, every kid, the, every street had kids and a lot of them. And uh, where were the Down syndrome? If one in 700, there should have been at least two in my high school. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't recall ever seeing, I don't think I ever saw any child within my school years yeah. either with Down syndrome. Yeah. But they're there. Yeah. And, you know, and years of experience later, both, you know, both you and I, uh, in the community, it's like, why weren't they there? I don't know, but I'm glad that I'm seeing them out in the community more now (laughs) and that they're in the schools. Well, and they're being included in Mm -hmm. so much. I mean, the richness of their lives must be huge, right? Like, like Ainsley's life must be just like, there's so many people always wanting to be around her. Oh, even the principal called her a rock star. Yeah. Because every time we go into the classroom, the kids like all gather around her. You know, it's like, I really didn't have any idea. Like I went to a pack meeting and then there's the older kids are next door looking after the younger kids. And the girls literally were screaming Ainsley, Ainsley and jumping up and down. They were so excited to see her. And that's when the principal told me she's like a rock star. And, you know, I don't know what it is. She just has that ability to draw people to her. She doesn't have a ton of language yet, but it's certainly coming. But the kids, they want to be with her and they want to play with her. They want to eat lunch with her. You know, and those are all things that I was so worried about upon her entering school. Right. So that must make you feel (laughs) exceptional that... You well, know, it makes she's me feel so good. well accepted. Yeah. yeah, and the teachers are lovely, and she's got a wonderful uh, aide at school who is awesome, and you know she's and she's a big part of Ainsley's life, and you know she's been with her for two years and wants to stay with her for at least one more year, so I'm excited about that, and just you know and just how much Ainsley has grown over the last year and a half because she's in grade one, we're almost finished grade one now, it's been amazing. Parenthood in like single parenthood in schools. I mean, there was like the six years or five years before she went into school. Um, like there must've been a huge amount of the responsibility of being the one mm-hmm. to look after the one, <laughs> you know, uh, like what sort of differences would there be? Between, say, I don't want to use the term normal parenthood, typical, but a typical parenthood. What are some of the additional things that, that you had to do uh, with Ainsley that uh, maybe a, a typical a parent or a single parent wouldn't have to do well any child with special needs and you know my experience is just with down syndrome you know there's a lot of therapies involved and so that is extremely time consuming you know even today we're doing we do ot we do speech and ot is occupational therapy and then we do physio twice a week so it's a lot of running around we also do music therapy Uh, so, and when you're it, like sometimes it's so stressful when you have to decide what is the best therapy, the best course of action for your child. And also you really have to find your voice and you have to advocate for your child. You know, maybe you're not getting the services that you need or that you think would benefit your child. And also just knowing where to find those services and to speak up because as my brother, who's a social worker said the squeaky wheel gets the grease so if they don't hear from you they think everything's fine and so you know that's hard and you know you just never sleep pretty much <laughs> I mean I'm sure all parents can say that but when you're when you're the one you know there's lots of sleepless nights worrying 
And, um, you know, because Ainsley was quite delayed in walking and, you know, just other challenges with having Down syndrome. And that was very, very stressful. But, you know, I have a good team behind me. I have an awesome support worker. She's not technically our support worker anymore, but, um, you know, it's just early intervention until age three. But she kind of kept Ainsley's file open until she was five because she says, I really like Ainsley. (laughs) And, you know, she got us in to see an awesome physio who has made a huge, huge difference for Ainsley. And and I can talk more about that in in a later podcast, but... It's just really important I've learned is to have good people around you, good professionals who know what they're doing and who will also back you up when you're advocating and also advocate for you. Okay. So that leads us into episode two for next week or for next time. For next time. For next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the premiere episode of the T21 Mom podcast. And I would love to hear from you. How are you navigating this journey of special needs and Down syndrome? How are you doing things your way? Drop us a line at info at t21mom.com and t21mom is all one word and let us know what's going on in your life. Keep loving on those rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.